1980, the Winter Olympics were taking place in Lake Placid, New York. And that was back in the day when, the, when Russia was not just Russia, it was the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union and the United States were, were arch enemies in everything. And the Soviet Union had this unbelievable hockey team. They had li- won the last four gold medals in the last four Winter Olympics. They had played the National League National Hockey League All-Stars, professional, and beat them six to nothing, which that is really destroying somebody in hockey, uh, a few weeks before this. Our American team was the youngest team at the Olympics, and at that point, at that time, all the Olympic teams were amateurs, and except the Russians, really, these were older guys that were in the military who played hockey 12 months a year. So they were greatly favored, and in fact, they played an exhibition game against the Americans 13 days before they were playing an official game, and they had beaten the Americans 10 to 3 in hockey. Now, I don't know a lot about hockey, but what I understand, 10 to 3 would be like getting beat by 40 points in basketball, or getting beat 49 to nothing in football. I mean, it's a drumming. They, they were just tremendous, and so as they got ready to play, the Americans and the Soviet Union, it was going to take a miracle for the Americans to be able to beat the Soviet Union. This morning, we're in Joshua chapter 10. We're going to go back to that story later, but we're going to talk about miracles. But I want to begin with this. You need a miracle because of this. You have problems, and I'll just ask you a question. Do you have some problems this morning? And the answer to that, to some degree, all of us do, And the truth is, if this morning everything in your life is peachy cream, it can turn upside down today. The Jewish people, man, they are pursuing God. Listen, they're finding their best life. They've messed up a few times, and every time they mess up and get away from God, it goes poorly. But they're following God, and they still have problems. Verse 1 through 5 of this story, it says, As soon as Adonizek, king of Jerusalem, heard about Joshua, and how he had captured Ai, and how he devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its kings as he had done to Jericho and its kings, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all of its men were warriors. So Adenazek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, and Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Jaffa, king of Lachish, And Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon. For it had made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. And verse 5, these five kings are the Amorites. These are the bad guys. These are wicked, evil people. The king of Jerusalem, Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. These are five, we would say, city-states, city little kingdoms, but they're powerful. And, and it's that they've come together to fight against the Jewish people. And right now they're fighting against somebody we're going to see that has a pact with the Jewish people. Here's a myth. The myth says this, that if you follow God, you're not going to have problems. You follow God, it's going to be easy. Listen, following God is absolutely the best way, and it's the smoothest ride, but you're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. Verse 6, we see a little bit more of this. It says, and the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, do not relax your hand. Now, there's urgency. These are imperative verbs. These are verbs of power. 
Don't relax your hand from your servants. Come up quickly and save us and help us from the king of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country. They are gathered up against us. Now, a few weeks ago, if you remember, the Jewish people had made a mistake and they made a pact with the Gibeonites. So now they're, they're, they're buddies. They're intertwined with them. And so the Gibeonites are fixing to be attacked and they've got to defend them. And, and so in other words, they're eating their breakfast. They're enjoying their day. And before they know it, they've got major problems on top of them. That's how it works. And this morning, again, some of you don't have a lot of problems today. God forbid you may before the day's over, or certainly before the week's over. You live much longer, you'll have problems. Others of you do. You've got financial problems that you're aware of. You've got relationship problems. If you, unless you just live in a bubble, you're going to have problems with people. That's just part of life. Maybe it's emotional problems, you're having problems with anxiety or depression or stress, that things are just overwhelming to you. Maybe it's physical problems or health problems. Or maybe it's this, maybe it's someone you love has got some serious issues. You see, the Jewish people, you know, they're going to have problems with these people eventually anyway, but their problems began because the people that they were united with have problems. When you love other people, be it a husband, a wife, boyfriend, a girlfriend, or friend, parent, your kids, when they have problems, that becomes problems for you. I heard this said years ago, two people don't have problems. The people who are happily insane and the people who are in heaven. You're not in heaven, so either you have problems or you fall into that first category, correct? You're going to have problems. There's no question about it. Now, in, in verse 7 through 11, we see some solutions to the problems. In verse 7, it says, So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and his mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Don't fear them. I've given them into your hands. Not a man shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them in a panic before Israel. He struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them all the way back to the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Makikada. And they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran. The Lord threw down large stones of hell on them as far as Azek and they died. More died, and I think this is talking about they're looking back after the battle. More died from the hailstorm than died from the Israelite sword. Listen to some of the things they did. If you're taking notes with their problems, they faced them. They didn't ignore them. They faced their problems. They didn't deny them. Secondly, they made sure they were following God. They were under God. They were surrendered to God. They were following God. And here's the third thing. Wisely, wisely, they did everything they could do about their problems. They stepped into it. They didn't ignore it. They were following God. Listen, make sure you're under God. But here's the situation. Even when they were doing all those things, the problems didn't go away. And the problems didn't disappear. And see, here's what happens sometimes. We are following God. We're surrendered to God. We're doing everything we can. We're acting wisely. We're not ignoring the problems. We're facing the problems. But still, the problems are overwhelming. So I want to ask you a question that Joshua and them, that that faced them. Do you still need a big miracle today? You're doing everything you can. But the problems aren't going away. That's exactly what was happening here. Listen, they're facing the toughest enemy they've ever faced, probably the most people they've ever faced. They just marched up an incline 4,000 feet up, 
And they had some success. But they still got big problems. And, and the problems are so big that Joshua knows if they don't have a miracle, they may not win the battle. That may be you this morning. Again, it may be you in two weeks. So what do we do when you look at your situation and you say to yourself, you know what? If God doesn't intervene, this is going to go really bad. I'm going to show you the steps that they took. Here's the first one. You pray passionately to God. Pray passionately to God. Now, was Joshua praying before this prayer we're fixing to see? I believe so with all my heart. It's interesting, though, when the pain gets enough, the prayers get better, don't they? When the pain and the heartache gets worse, our ability and knowledge on how to pray gets better. Look in verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And here's what he said in the sight of Israel. Son, stand still at Gibeon. And moon in the valley of Asia Lon. The word spoke there in verse 12. In the Old Testament, remember, was written in Hebrew. is a strong word, which means with passion. With passion, Joshua said to God, God, you've got to help us. God, you have got to intervene. God, you've got to get involved in my problems. If I can encourage you in anything, I want to encourage you to pray, and I want you to encourage you to pray with more and more passion. And again, when the thumb of life and pressure and heartache gets on you, it's amazing how you pray better. Philip Yancey is a good Christian author, and Philip Yancey said, "Prayer, if prayer is the place where God and men meet, then we ought to learn all we can about prayer. I would say amen to that, but I want to add something to that. If prayer is the place where God and men meet, then we ought to not only learn more about it, we ought to do it a lot more, shouldn't we? Here's what, you need a miracle? When you need a miracle, pray passionately to God. Call 911 to God and don't hang up the phone. Keep calling him, keep talking to him, keep going before him. Here's the second thing, be public about you and God. Now, I know that's not the best grammar, but that's the best way I can figure out to say it. God does not want undercover Christians. God does not want silent saints. There's a very interesting part of this passage that's easy to miss, and I don't think it's in the Bible by accident. At the time Joshua spoke to the Lord, in that day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel... And he prays this magnificent prayer. Here's what it says. He said this in the sight, which means literally in the presence of Israel. God make the sun stand still at Gibeon and the moon in the valley of Ajalon. Wow, isn't that interesting? I think most of our prayer life ought to be in the closet. It ought to be private just between you and God. But I've noticed in my life, if the problems are are really strong and I need a miracle, I almost back away and hide more when I pray. But it's interesting, when Joshua needed a miracle, and he's going to ask God to suspend the laws of nature, did you notice it said he did this in the sight of other people? I I think a couple of thoughts on this. One, again, man, be public about you and God. Let, don't, don't be obnoxious or rude, but let people know where you stand with God. Secondly, sometimes to step out in faith with your prayer group or with a group of people to step out and say, God, I want to ask you in front of my friends and my family 
I'm asking you for a miracle. I don't think that's in the Bible by accident. I think God's showing us that, folks, a lot of times faith is willing to step out and look silly to call on God for a miracle. So you pray, you're public, you you, you get out there and, and you let people and God know that you're proud of them. And let me tell you the third thing, and I believe this, God will provide a miracle. I believe that. This isn't health and wealth. This is not... Anything of the sorts, and, I, and I'm going to explain the miracles as we unpack this together. A miracle by nature is something you can't do. It's something I can't pull off for you. It's something you can't pay a preacher on TV to make happen for you. A miracle by nature is something only God can do. And only God's the one that can provide it. And I'm telling you, I believe God will provide a miracle if we're who we should be. Let me give you two types of miracles God's going to provide. One of these, both of these. Here's the first one. It may be a life-altering, miraculous event. This is the miracles we like. We like the miracles where something happens that is just so supernatural that we know it had to be God. That's what happened here. In verse 13... It says, and the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the, written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set about for a whole day. Did you, did you see what that passage just said? Did you hear what it said? That, that the sun didn't set for a whole day. Now, to give you a little context, it, it, it begins, it says that the, uh, let's show that picture, Brian, that the sun and the moon were up at the same time. You've seen this before, and, and that's going to happen at one or two times of the day. Normally, it's going to happen at the beginning of the day, early part of the day, where the sun would be up or, and the moon be visible, or at the end of the day when you would see that the, the the sun is still visible and the moon is coming up. We've all seen that. We're, we're aware of that. Now, what happened here? This is the first time I've ever preached on this, this chapter. And it's, it's, it's difficult. It's not easy. Some scholars say this is the, the most uh, controversial miracle in the Bible. And, and a lot of, quote, Bible scholars, they list five possibilities of what this could be about the sun standing still. Some say, well, it was just biblical poetry. It was just a cute way of saying something neat happened that day. Don't think that's it. Some say, well, it's figurative. It didn't literally happen, but it was a great battle, a great win. It's figurative. The sun didn't stand still. The earth didn't lose a day. I don't believe that. Others say that God just kind of provided shade for the Jewish people as they fought. Well, if God provided shade for the Jewish people, the bad guys got shade too. What advantage of the, it is uh, it, there? That doesn't make sense to me either. Some say, well, the sun just kind of hung around a little bit longer that day is what, what it means. And the last option is this. The last option is this happened. Is that God provided a miraculous thing. And I want to tell you, that's what I believe. And I want to try to prove to you why I believe that's correct. A lot of people don't think it is. Now, let me explain to you, first of all, probably when it says the sun stood still, Joshua is speaking the language that he and I and you and I understand, what, and what he would have understood. He didn't understand near as much about astronomy as we do. We know that the, the sun doesn't really set. Did you know that? 
and the sun doesn't really rise. That's, we speak language that we understand. Very educated meteorologists talk about the sun rising and the sunset. Let's look at the earth and its rotation. This is how you get a sunrise and a sunset. The earth, over a 24-hour period, rotates on its axis. And right now, this is called sunlight. This is called sleepy night-night over here, isn't it? And as the earth rotates, you get, you get sunlight. As it moves, the earth becomes bright. And then as it goes down, the earth becomes dark or as, the, as it rotates against it. Now, again, so, see, I've heard some scholars say, well, that, the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. The sun doesn't stand still anyway. The earth rotates. Well, Joshua was speaking the language that, that he understood. By the way, this morning, or you look on your phone when church is over, it doesn't talk about, hey, at 722 tonight, the earth will rotate on its axis and the sun will disappear, does it? And then tomorrow at 620, the earth will rotate on its axis and the sun will appear. It speaks language we understand when it says the sun rises and the sun set. The sun doesn't rise and doesn't set. Joshua was speaking language that he understood, that the earth, that the sun was there, that it didn't disappear. And that's exactly what I think happened. But we'll, again, we're going to talk more about this in just a second. If you were reading the, the words of this story and looking at them, the words of the story literally are, say that what Joshua asked to happen, happened. They're not speaking figuratively. They're not speaking possibility. They're talking about that something happened in the atmosphere that was supernatural, that God prolonged a day. Now, I think this is interesting. I was looking this week. uh, The longest day of the year uh, of 2017 is going to be on a Tuesday, June the 20th. And at that, on that day, the sun comes up or the earth rotates on its axis. So the sun appears at 6.03 and then it disappears at 8.21 that night. So that's a 14-plus-hour day. That's a good day. Joshua's day, if we believe what the Bible is saying here, and, and I do, was probably 24 to 28 hours of daylight. Instead of the earth rotating in a 24-hour period, it rotated in a 48-hour period. But, hey, can that really happen? Why is this important? Because if this couldn't happen, God can't really help you. Are you with me? I mean, if this is just a story, then God can't really help you. I mean, God can cheer you on and hope you things will go better. But if God can slow the earth's rotation where a whole day turns into a 48-hour day instead of a 24-hour day, you know what? God might can help you. Amen? I was reading this week, and I came across this article a scientist explaining away Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. You know the story where Jesus walks on the Sea of Galilee. This was, this was in the Journal of Paleolimology. That's some pretty fun reading, I'm sure. The article was written by a man named Dr. Doran Knopf, and he's an expert in oceanography and limnology. Limnology is a study of lakes. Here's how he explained away Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. He said, there happened to be at that time a patch of ice on the Sea of Galilee. How you can go back 2,000 years and know that, I don't know. And that Jesus didn't walk across the Sea of Galilee. He basically surfed across on a block of ice. That's a pretty cool story, isn't it? Now, to his credit, the scientist says, the chances of a block of ice being on the Sea of Galilee 
would happen one in every thousand years. So, you know, if I get to heaven and find out that's how Jesus got across, that's a miracle, isn't it? But you know what, phony baloney? I mean, if you're, you're looking for an excuse, if you're looking for trying to explain something, I guess you can. It comes back to what do you believe about God? And what do you believe about what God can do for you and your situation? In England several years ago, and England's in trouble. I mean, they are leaving God, and it ain't working out. And America is following suit. But they, they did massive door-to-door surveys. And they were asked people, what do you believe about God? The power of God. Can God do miracles? And one of the researchers came back and he summed up. He said, one guy said what 95% of the people that we talk to. Most of them, they believe in some form of God. But here's what he said, this one guy said. I believe in God, but I don't believe in a miracle God, a God that can do the miraculous. I just believe in an ordinary God. Wow. Let me tell you, folks, if we have a God, he's not ordinary. If you can create the earth, if you can walk on water or ice surf across it, If you can feed 5,000 with a few Big Macs and a couple of large fries, if you can raise dead people back to life and you can walk out of a tomb, you can cause the earth to slow down on its axis for a 48-hour day. Amen? And what that means is that means that God can help you. My marriage is in bad shape. God can help if you let Him. I don't have any friends. God can help you if you'll... Let him. My finances are upside down. God can help you. I'm praying for that person to be healed or my situation to be better. God can do a miracle. Years ago, a a family that lived in Colorado felt called, mom and daddy felt called, to leave their home, to leave America, and go to Uganda. They were with the Navigators. Many of you know what the Navigators are. It's a Christian discipleship group. And the Navigators back then, this is probably 50 years ago, way of doing missions was not near as organized as our Southern Baptist way. So, like, if you felt called to go to another country, you just went with their blessing. So this man packs up his wife and his young family, and they fly into Kenya. He leaves his wife and kids in Kenya. He, he rents a Land Rover or some kind of Jeep vehicle, and he drives into Uganda. He's just riding around, scared to death. God, did I make a mistake? Did I really hear you? Am I supposed to be here? He pulls into a small town, and it's, it's, it's beginning to be dark. Earth's rotating on its axis, and the sun's disappearing. He sees three teenagers out in the street with machine guns shooting them up in the air. And as he drives by, they point him at him. He's going, God, what am I doing here? God, I need a miracle. He goes and gets a hotel room. He walks into the hotel room. There's, two, there's twin beds. One bed's unmade up. He can tell somebody else is staying in this room. Would that not be creepy? I mean, if I go to Shreveport and there's somebody else staying in the hotel room, I may leave Cindy, but I am not staying there. I am gone. I'll sleep in the car. She can handle him. I can't. He gets down on his knees and he says, God, you've got to do something. I'm going to take my family and go home. Do we miss you? We need a miracle. God, you've got to provide a miracle and show me we're here and help us. About the time he says amen. God's timing's so funny. The door busts open and it's a six foot five Ugandan man who speaks perfect British English. And he says, What are you doing in my room? <laughs> Uh Uh-oh. 
He said, well, this is the room they gave me. I'm going to be in this bed. I'll stay in this bed. I will not cross the line. And I'll be out of here tomorrow. The guy said, what are you doing in my country? He said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm with a group, the Navigators. And I've come to Uganda to tell people about Jesus and help them grow in Jesus. He said, the man said, the Navigators and the six foot five complete stranger comes up, bear hugs him and begins to dance with him around the room. He pulls out of his pocket some Navigator's memory verses and says, two years ago, someone gave me this. I gave my life to Christ. For two years, I've been praying for God to send someone from the Navigators here to help me grow up in Jesus Christ. That man becomes his best friend. That man teaches in the language. That man finds his family a place to live, becomes a board of the, on the board of directors of the Navigators and helps it get established in Uganda. That's a miracle. And the same God that did that with the earth, that did that with a man in Uganda, can do that in your life and my life. Can God pull off a miraculous event? Absolutely. Can he in your life? Absolutely. But here's the second part of the miracle that we can't miss. The miracle may be that God sees you through it victoriously. Now, it's easy to say, preacher, you're, you're, you're wimping out here. You're backing off and you're giving a sissy out. No. This is not what I pray for when I pray for a miracle. I pray that that person moves to Uganda. I pray that someone's healed. I pray the situation's fixed. But sometimes the miracle is that God doesn't remove the problem. God changes us in the midst of the problem. The greatest hero of all time is Jesus Christ. Matthew 26 Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's fixing to be arrested. You know the whole story. He's going to be arrested, beaten almost to death, whipped almost to death, put on a cross, the most brutal way to die, and he's going to die brutally. And then three days later, he's going to walk out of the tomb. You know the rest of the story. But Jesus, and this is the, the, the God and the humanity here of Jesus. Jesus is in the garden. Read Matthew 26 when you get home for yourself. Three times he says, Father... If we can go any other route, if you can remove this from me, please do. Jesus is saying, for a miracle, God, if we can do some other way besides the cross, let's do it. But he concludes every time by saying, God, Father, not my will, but your will. You know what? Jesus' prayer really wasn't answered his way, was it? You know the whole story? He gets arrested. He gets beaten. Brutally beaten. He gets killed on the cross. And then three days later, he walks out of the tomb. You see, God didn't deliver him from that situation because the greatest miracle was going to be to go through that situation for you and me. Amen? So I want to tell you this morning, I will pray with you and for you for that miraculous thing to happen. But I don't want you to miss the miracle when God gives you victory through it. I heard a preacher say years ago, he was talking about people he's seen with cancer and other really bad illnesses. He said, I've seen two miracles. He said, one miracle is the person who is healed. That's the one we love. He said, but the other miracle that may be even the greater miracle is the person who doesn't get healed but lives victoriously through the situation. God can pull off either one of those in your life if you'll let him. 
I want you to see a, a last part of a video clip as we close her out. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Will you let the knob get checked by Ramsey? McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in The Americans, who had just gotten beat 50 to nothing, basically, by the Soviet Union 13 days earlier in the medal game in the Olympics, beat the Soviet Union. The Sports Illustrated said that was the greatest moment in sports history in the 20th century. And Al Michaels' famous phrase, you might not have been able to hear it right at the end, is they're winning, the ball, they're winning that game, they win it by one, by one point, one puck. He says, do you believe in miracles? <laughs> I want to ask you this morning, do you? I do. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, we'd love to pray for you in a moment. Make sure that you're lined up with God. You're in a position, in a spot personally where God can work in your heart and life. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian... The greatest miracle there is is when you find Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Pray with me if you're ready to do that. Pray and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins today. Jesus, I believe you're God's Son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand, and when we do, here's what I want you to do. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart. You can talk to us after church, or you can take a big step today and come. Let us help you with that decision. Maybe you'd like to join the church. You can do that after church, or you can come today when we stand. I want to tell you, First Baptist is imperfect, but we are a place that believes that God can still do miracles. Come and join us today. Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar, you need to get your life squared up with God. Quit praying for a miracle from God when you're living like the devil. Get it right with God. And I I want to tell you, maybe you want to come and kneel at the altar or let one of our ministers pray with you today about whatever's going on in your life. We would love to do that. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.